Welcome to the Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man podcast, dedicated to all the men who are going through marital problems and want to save their marriages, with host Arturo Henriquez and sponsored by The Fortified Spouse. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this podcast. Before I begin, I want to thank all the people that are leaving reviews and ask all the other people to please leave reviews and comments on the episodes that you listen to if you do like them. Uh, it does wonders in terms of the algorithm of podcasts. It goes farther upon the charts. You have no idea how much it helps. I've talked to hundreds of people on the telephone, and I am so humbled uh, when they tell me that these this podcast, these episodes, have helped them so much. And I thank them, and I thank you for leaving these reviews. It does wonders, and we can reach more people that are going through these types of problems and help them. So please, please do me that favor. I thank you in advance. And also, if you do want to talk with me one-on-one in private, uh, go to www.fortifiedspouse.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L, and we will talk about your situation. It is a free call, and I would be happy to, to talk to you. Anyway, so back to this episode. I have a quick question for you. Do you feel like your marriage is on life support, that it is in a critical condition and really just in very bad trouble? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to talk about the different levels of a marriage crisis all the way down to a marriage disaster. But before we get there, I want to tell you a quick story about what happened to me several, several years ago. I was doing a marathon. So I was running about 26.2 miles, just over 26 miles. The difference is I was on a trail in the backwoods. And so I was running on the same trails that would be used by mountain bikers and other people that were just hiking through the forest. Now, the area I was in has some smaller mountains, not huge mountains, but it was a very hilly route. And I remember I started the route. We were headed downhill and I thought to myself, you know, this is a piece of cake. I'm not going to have much trouble here. And I I got a little overly confident, so I ran a little faster than I should have. So much so that I realized at one point that even downhill, I was getting tireder than I should have been to that point. I trained plenty for the marathon, almost six months. So I knew how I should feel along the way. I knew how I should feel at two miles, at four miles, at 10 miles, At 20 miles, I knew all that. And as we were hitting in the beginning part, I was just getting a little fast, a little overconfident, a little overzealous, seeing all the other people who were just trucking along. And then we turned the corner and the trail disappeared for a minute. And the canopy of trees uh, were there. And as I rounded out and I came up, I realized that we were now headed into a big hill, a big uphill. And I was already a little bit behind because I didn't, I wasn't conserving my energy, which is something that you have to do in a marathon. You have to pace yourself. I hadn't been watching what was going on, and I hadn't been paying attention to what was going on at the beginning of the race when the route was pretty easy. And so as I started to go up this hill, I had already been through a lot of the reserves that I didn't realize that I had already gone through, the energy reserve. And so the uphill, just a slight uphill, it wasn't any really big deal. 
I just thought, okay, well, this is okay because once it flattens out and drops back down, I'll just slow down and regain. So I'm chugging up at a slight incline, and as I continue on, I look down to notice that I was still going faster than the pace that I had trained on, and I was still getting sucked into that competitive thing where people around me were passing me. I didn't want to be passed. I wanted to stay up with them. And so I jogged faster. And I will admit that I met a person on the bus that was taking us to the starting point. And I just felt like I should be able to go faster than that one person because he was older than me. He didn't look like he was in very good shape or at least not as good as I was. But my bad, he was in much better shape than I was. And so I was using him as a pace point and he was able to go faster than I was. And so there we were climbing this next hill. And the next hill after that was a little more steep. And we continued on. And then I got a little relief. I got a little, it got a little easier. We started down this path and rounding around and regaining a little bit of energy. I started to feel better. I stopped a couple of times at the eight stops and you know got a banana and got some drinks. And so I felt like I kind of recharged a little bit. And so we rounded around and they put us on a road. There's one section of the road where we had to connect two trails. So I rounded around the bend of that road and I looked up and I saw this hill, like a, a hill I've never seen before. It appeared to me that it went practically straight up. Now, it didn't, but it was an imposing hill. I started up the hill and I felt kind of like it was easy because the hill was not that long. I figured, okay, well, if I can jog as far as I can, I'll walk the rest. I'll be fine because it's not that big. Now, I didn't notice that what was blocking me was a turn in the road and the trees. And so I got to the place where I thought it was going to get easier. It actually turned and banked and went even steeper. At one point, I felt like this was it. This was going to be the end of me. I couldn't make it up the hill. There's no way I was going to make it up this hill. My legs were cramping. We were now at this point well over halfway through the race, and I was through my reserves. I had not reserved what I needed, which is a big no-no in marathons. I had not attended to myself along the way, and I was cooking myself now. I ended up walking beside this woman who was telling me about her partner who was running on ahead of us. He had been training in West Virginia for months, and he was used to steep hills like this, and they weren't bothering him at all, these hills. But she and I we were training on flatter land, and we didn't really have the reserves we needed. Now, I will tell you that I did finish that race, and my walking partner there did finish the race. And that person I was trying to pace with, well, he did finish the race too. We finished the race, but it was a miserable slog up that hill, and I've never seen it more steep. I don't think I've ever been on a hill in a car that, that was, it was that steep. And I'm not even sure I would have been comfortable in a hill in a car that steep. And I learned a few lessons along the way. It's the reason I'm telling you the story. And one is that you really do have to watch it along the way. And two is you really have to pace yourself along the way. And three is you really have to be aware along the way before you hit that really steep part. Well, as I think about a marriage in crisis, and not just a little bit in crisis, but in, in, in a big marriage disaster, 
it makes me think about that run because that run is a good representation of what happens along the path when we don't realize what's going on in our relationship. So we start in a marriage and everything seems so easy, kind of like my run. We're just flying through life and maybe not attending to the fundamentals that we need to in a marriage. And with maybe having all these, these other people that we feel like we're better who have much more knowledge and equipment than we do, much like I did with that older gentleman. We forget about how we're trying to build a we and we forget about how we're supposed to be a team. And we forget about the fact that this relationship is the priority and we let other things pull us off. And because of that, we haven't attended to those fundamentals along the way. You've got to pace yourself. And so as we don't attend to those fundamentals, marriage issues just pop up. But they, they, they just don't pop up. They end up haunting us. Now, a marriage issue comes up in any relationship, 100% of all relationships. But if you've got the fundamentals down, generally you can address and correct them because that's all you have to do when it's an issue, not a disaster. An issue generally around the beginning of a marriage crisis is simply the fact that you two are viewing the relationship differently. You have a different mindset and a different understanding about what the relationship is meant to be. And so at this point, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a difference of understanding. And so at that point, a marriage issue is pretty easily corrected. You just address the issue, correct the issue, correct the paradigm you have of each other, the perceptions you have of each other, and you grow stronger. But if you don't, if you don't attend to those things, when they arise, they become marriage problems. Now, one of the things I've talked about before is the fact that many times when people are, are in our program, they're telling us about the problems they're having, I ask them a very simple question. What was the first fight, the first significant fight, the first significant argument, disagreement that you had in your relationship? You see, generally when they name it, it's exactly the same thing we're dealing with then. It was an issue at the beginning, but it wasn't dealt with, and now it's a problem. Now, problems are also corrected fairly easy. Now, you're on the slant upward, and it's a little more of a difficulty because now you've got some miles behind you, and you failed to get the training down. You failed to get the fundamentals down, but you can still address and correct those issues. Now, there has to be some healing along the way because the reason it's a problem is because hurt has been caused by the fact that the changes didn't happen before. The issues before weren't resolved. And so now there's a lingering effect of hurt and there's a lingering effect that has to be addressed. There has to be both addressing of the issues and correcting the issues and also healing and coming back together. Now, a lot of the times when couples come out of marriage problems, they have a stronger relationship because now They've stood together and they've dealt with the issues and they've learned from them and they've realized that they really do have to attend to them. That is the point when maybe you see a young couple that really is at the first stage of going, wow, what is this really about? I really got to figure out this marriage thing. And so they really sit back and they try to figure it out, you know, what it's truly about. And because of that, they have the opportunity for some growth, the opportunity to have weathered some situations, some difficulties 
to find healing and come together. But if they don't solve their marriage problems, it becomes a marriage crisis. Now, a marriage crisis is a crisis because at this point, the anger has begun to be a bigger piece. It's not just the hurt that things can't change. It's the anger that the other person won't change, and it becomes much more against each other. Instead of it being, we've got a relationship problem, it becomes, you're the problem. You've got a problem that you've got to solve. And both people are committed to that paradigm, that belief system. And because of that, neither person is budging much in terms of change. And if somebody doesn't budge, if somebody doesn't move, they're going to find themselves at the next stage. But if they decide to budge, if one person says, wait a minute, we've got to figure this out, how I play a role in this, I can solve this. And this is often the place where people come to in the Fortified Spouse Program. A lot of times when they come in with marriage problems, I love it because they're so easily solved. They get it to it quickly. They're not the ones who are saying, why should I have to change? They're the ones that say, wow, we have to change. I have to change. We have to really change the fundamentals of our relationship. And so when people come into my program with marriage problem, the changes are very fast. The changes are very fast and permanent because now they understand things differently and they've shifted the whole situation. Oftentimes when there's a marital issue, maybe they need a little bit of help, maybe to find a little bit of guidance. And those are the people who come through the Fortified Spouse Program and they get right-sided very quickly because all they needed was a little shift. That's the easiest. It's almost an imperceptible piece where they're fixed and they go, wow, we don't really have an issue anymore. And they generally avoid becoming a problem. But once they become a problem, they still find the healing because now they understand things differently and they understand where to go. In a marriage crisis, it's a bit different because in a marriage crisis, generally, one person is so hurt and angry that they will not do anything. And the other person, also hurt and angry, is choosing to do something. And so this is where they have to overcome that place of saying, why me? Why should I have to deal with this? Why doesn't my spouse have to do it? And my response is because somebody does. Somebody's got to start the process. Because if you don't start the process, you'll never get to a process. And if you never get through the process, you never get the relationship you want. Nor do you find the transformation in yourself that is necessary for that. And that's exactly what happened in my marriage. We were both miserable. And we came to that spot where my wife was the first to say, I want to get separated. I was just on the verge of there of wanting to get separated. We were both hurt, angry, resentful. But I chose to save the marriage. I chose to lead. And my wife eventually came back to the marriage and we saved our marriage. And our marriage has never been better. So that's the important thing about this marriage crisis, for one person to be able to say, I'm in, I'm going to work on this. Even though right, right now my spouse doesn't want to be a part of this, my spouse is resisting because of the anger and resentment and hurt. Now the next stage is the big one, the marriage disaster. Usually in a marriage disaster, pretty much both people are wanting to leave the relationship. Both people have pretty much checked out. Now when they come you know, at this place in the relationship and they come to me, the first thing that has to happen is for one of those, one of the two people to say, okay, I'm going to take responsibility. 
I'm going to move forward with this. So then the big question that people ask me, is it possible to bring a relationship back from a marriage disaster? Now let's go back to my little trail as I was running those miles in that marathon. The marriage issues, that's just kind of the typical stuff. When you first get to that place where there's a slight incline, up until then, the marriage is running downhill. It's easy. Both people are so energized about the relationship and life and everything seems so rosy, then they hit the first little uphill. That's the marriage issue. Hopefully, they've already got those fundamentals. But then the marriage problem is a little steeper, a little bit more difficult. But you just have to pace it and make sure you move through it. Now the marriage crisis, now we're on the uphill, the top uphill that really shows what you're made of. It really makes you decide, am I pushing through this or am I backing off? Now the marriage disaster, well that's like the road that I've never seen before. And I don't know that I've seen it since. It was so steep and so crushing that the only way I was able to get through it was because there was a walker beside me that we both said, we'll get over this. We're going to get ourselves to the top. Had I been doing it by myself with no one around me, I think I would have walked away because it was just too painful. My legs were cramping. I was exhausted. I had no more resources. And I had to dig deep. I had to find some method of doing that. At this point in the marriage disaster, it's one-sided and there's resistance and apathy from the other side. The other side is completely checked out and no longer are they angry. They're apathetic or even indifferent. They just go, I'm done. I don't care. I don't feel. And it is possible to get beyond this, guys. But it's exponentially more difficult. It's about trying to roll back to the place where it's really a marriage crisis, not a marriage disaster. And when you get it back to the marriage crisis, sometimes you find yourself in the midst of anger. Again, here's the thing. Every stage is exponentially more difficult than the one before. It's not just a slow uphill battle, but each stage is a little more steep, a little more difficult. And sometimes it feels like it has grown exponentially on you, on the difficulty to get back to it. Here's where the crisis to disaster can really fool you. Some people don't realize that they have moved from crisis to disaster. So how can you tell? Well, crisis to disaster has a couple of hallmarks to it. One is the conflict often drops. Nothing's changed. Now notice if you have solved the issues and the conflict drops, that's because you've solved and healed. But if the conflict has been there and suddenly there's no longer any conflict, it can fool you into thinking, well, everything must be okay because the conflict feels gone. It feels good. But what's actually happening is that this represents the apathy growing. The other person has given up on even having a conflict. The conflict was out of anger. The apathy is out of disconnection and out of feeling like there's nothing that can be done. So if conflict drops without some resolving issue, Sometimes you're teetering on that spot between a crisis and a disaster. You see, apathy always replaces anger if there's no healing. But it can look a whole lot like complacency. Apathy sometimes fools us into thinking, well, I guess the other person's okay now. I guess maybe I don't have to work that hard anymore. Maybe me just waiting for things to iron out worked out after all, or it's going to work out. And what really, you know, what happens is you discover 
is maybe the other person is waiting for some event, a child to leave for college, or for some anniversary to pass, or for some crisis in the family to get going, or to find some way of moving beyond it. Sometimes they're willing to stay in the relationship but have no relationship that they like. In other words, they're willing to walk through life in a fairly soulless relationship in order to avoid other things. But the real thing here is that apathy can sometimes fool us into believing it's about complacency. So don't be fooled by apathy. So at this point, the marriage is on life support. That's the marriage disaster. Marriage is on life support and one person has their hand on the plug. Sometimes both people have their hands on the plug. But at least one person has the hand on the plug and they're not sure whether to pull it or not. This is when it requires the full attention of the person who's working on the relationship. It requires the full attention both in personal and relational transformation. It's not enough to say, okay, I'll be who you want to be. It's not okay to say, okay, we'll make the relationship what you want it to be. It has to actually be a transformational moment by the person and for the relationship, meaning with the relationship. We have to build something we both want. And I have to really show up in life and have to really become the person I needed to become. I needed to be throughout this time. It requires your full attention. Now, this is not to scare you, but to prepare you. It's not to scare you into thinking, oh my gosh, we're on life support and nothing can happen. But really to prepare you for the different stages that happened and to prepare you for what needs to happen in the relationship and, for, and with you for it to come back and save the marriage. Now, let me be very honest. If you find yourself in the midst of a marriage crisis or even a marriage disaster, I can't give you five hints that will solve your relationship. It needs more than that. Every day I hear people who say, just give me a couple of hints. Give me a couple of things to do. I don't need to know everything. Just give me a couple of hints. And my response is, you don't need a couple of hints. You need to know and you need to transform. People who want hints want shortcuts. They want to get back to a relationship that is not on the verge of divorce but they don't want to save their marriage. They don't know how to get back to a loving place. They just don't want to be where they are now. That's not going to help. That's not going to solve anything. What really needs to happen is to begin to reverse the process, to go from that apathy back to anger, unfortunately, and to solve it and to correct it and to heal and transform the relationship and transform you as the person. You've got to heal and people have to heal. The people have to transform and they have to find a new way through the relationship. Don't ever believe that there is some shortcut to how to solve this. It requires effort and time. If it's gotten to that point where you're chugging up that very steep hill, it's not enough to get a couple of hints somewhere. It's time to dig in and see if you can change it by really following a process and finding where you can you know, start the healing and where you can start the transformation of yourself and of the relationship. If you want to get back on that marathon and finish that marathon and finish it successfully, you need a program. You need to have the training to run that marathon and you need to understand the, dif the different inclines, the different steepness of what's going on and get through that, get past that. And that's how you go from a disaster to a crisis 
to a problem, to solving issues, to a we and a team. Guys, you do need a program to do that. But it is absolutely possible for one person to start that process even in the midst of a marriage disaster. And if you do that, if you train for that marathon, you have a trainer and you have a program that assures you that you will finish that marathon, then you have the highest probability of saving your marriage. Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to the podcast, Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man. For further information, visit the Fortified Spouse at www.fortifiedspouse.com. Thank you.